This program is sponsored by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Students and faculty aren't just ready for change at the Scripps College, they're hungry for it. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Andrew Seeley, Executive Vice President of the Wilson Center in Washington. On August 1st, he'll become the President of the Migration Policy Institute, a policy and research think tank also in Washington, D.C. Dr. Seeley's expertise is in immigration with a special emphasis on Mexico and the interrelationships between Mexico and the United States. He talks with us about the Trump administration's immigration policies and our country's response to immigration issues. He also gives us some little-known positive facts about immigrants and what they bring to our country and our culture. I understand in August you're going to take over a new position as president of the Migration Policy Institute. Is that correct? That's right, yes. And what is that? Well, the Migration Policy Institute is a nonpartisan think tank um, research center that that looks at migration issues around the world. About two-thirds of what it does is focused on the United States. I mean, that, that's where it started, and it, it tries to look at what the migration trends are, what immigration looks like, how the mix of people coming to this country is changing, what enforcement, uh, how it's shifting. Um, it comes up with new ideas on how to manage these things. We've done a, a few task forces in the past that sort of look at new ideas for managing immigration in the country. And then it does a lot of work on with state and local governments and school districts on immigrant integration, on, on basic you know, nuts and bolts questions about how refugees become part of their new communities and how immigrants adapt to, to learning English and to moving through high school and getting, getting college degrees and so on. The really sort of nuts and bolts stuff that communities deal with. And then the last third of its work is, is uh, primarily abroad, a lot of it in Europe. It actually has an office in, in Europe looking at, at migration trends there, particularly large refugee flows that have come into Europe in the past, uh, the past uh, two or three years and how people are integrating there. And then looking also in Mexico, which is increasingly a country where immigrants come from Central America. Um, so doing a lot of work with, with Mexicans and to some extent with Central Americans as well on, on migration flows. Now, would this organization, uh, you say it's a think tank, think tanks have different definitions. Uh, Is this one that takes uh, aggressive roles, for example, would it file amicus briefs on on, uh, policy, immigration policy? No, it it doesn't. It it tries to be a a fairly open, uh, a fairly broad tent. Um, understanding that people can have different positions on on immigration um, and that uh, you need people to get together and, and first of all you need to track the information and know what the facts are and so that's a large part of what we do um, and and the rest is is coming up with ideas that reasonable people can debate and talk about and and uh, and see as pragmatic solutions um, so the FBI doesn't tend to take very strong positions on issues there are other groups that do that um, but it does produce, you know, information analysis and ideas that people of very different political backgrounds can can use. 
As a layperson, immigration policies uh, always appear to me to be in a state of flux. And different policies for different nations and different policies for different administrations. Is it something that's more constant than I perceive it to be? You know, I, I think it is one of the issues that really arouses passions in people, and, and not just in the United States, I mean, around the world, um, because it has to do with with the way our, our country changes, right? And, and people in other countries are dealing with the same thing. People are passionate about, uh, some people are passionate and, and really want to see um, immigration and see it as a, as a source of great vitality for the United States as well as in other countries. Um, some people see it as a, a threat to their jobs and as a threat to their way of life that the country is changing. Um, and so I think we see from different administrations, we've seen a lot of continuity recently. Um, you know, I would say from probably going back as, as far as Ronald Reagan up until President Obama, there was actually a lot of continuity on on the U.S. being a welcoming society for uh, for immigrants within reason, you know, with, with boundaries set on how many people could come in, it would come and go. There were there were different debates. I mean, both under under Clinton and under under George W. Bush, there were attempts to to rein in the number of people coming to the country. But overall, they were I would say they were fairly pro immigration. Um, we're seeing now under President Trump an administration that is much more skeptical of of immigration, and part of this country is very supportive of that. It, it's probably not a majority, but it's but there's part of of uh, Donald Trump's political base that, that feels we've gone way too far and that we need to rein in the number of people coming to the country. Complaints about immigration, uh, can they be centralized to, to certain issues? Are they complaints about religion or are they social economic issues? Somebody's taking my job or are they just purely racial issues? Or is it a combination of all of those that's hard to separate? I think it's a combination that's hard to separate. And, and there are legitimate reasons to be skeptical of, of immigration, and there are, are, are reasons based on fear that are probably less legitimate. I mean, no less real, but, but less fact-based. I mean, that I would say, you know, some people are afraid that people who come into this country from other parts of the world um, will not become truly American. Um, and we've seen that throughout history. There's a, there's a great essay, actually, by... Uh, Benjamin Franklin talking about how the German immigrants would never become American because they were not democratic and they don't look like us. And, you know, that, it, right. it seems comical looking back, you know, the 1840s. Um, so we've dealt with this. You know, we heard this about the Irish and the Italians. And, you know, we, we're, we're now hearing about Mexicans and Asian immigrants. You know, but, but America has an amazing ability to, to absorb people, for people to become part of American society, feel truly American, and to change America as they come. I mean, America does change as people come into to our country, but but usually changes in good ways. And, and, you know, we're seeing right now, for example, you know, a large, about a third, actually, of the new businesses in this country are started by immigrants. Um, it's an incredible number, actually. I mean, you see a number, and this is true of immigrants from all parts of the world. I mean, some are more entrepreneurial than others, but, but even Mexican immigrants are about 10% of the new businesses, and only about 3% of the population are, are Mexican immigrants. So it's a really large, you know, so immigrants are a big part of the vitality of the country. But but people do have fears about their communities changing. Um, people have concerns. I mean, I think one of the things that is a real legitimate concern is in the short term, there are often burdens, particularly at the local level, for schools and hospitals and municipal services to deal with new immigrant populations. And in the long term, that tends to even out. And over time, immigrants tend to give back more than, the, than they take out, um, both in terms of taxes and in terms of productivity. But there are costs up front, and particularly communities that deal with lots of immigration very quickly 
often worry about those costs. And, and that is a legitimate concern, and that's something that people have to, reasonable people should be able to talk about. Um, you know, that is something. And then there's obviously the concern right now about terrorism. Um, the U.S. does actually have incredibly strong vetting right now of people coming through refugee flows and immigration flows. Um, and so we have not actually seen what we've seen in Europe, where there are lots of people who've come in who have turned to terrorist activities. But it is a legitimate concern and something we should be talking about in this country. And, you know, we sh- I, I, I worry when people talk about, you know, we should just be worried about Muslims or anyone from any particular religion. But the reality is we do need to make sure that our vetting procedures are the right ones. I think they're pretty good right now. But but we do need to take a serious look at them because we have seen cases around the world where, where people have gotten in through refugee flows and have done damage to their host country. I know you have studied and lived in and worked with Mexico uh, a great deal. Uh, do we as, as a population in this country oversimplify immigration? A lot of times we just see it as a United States-Mexican issue. Muslims aside, but but it seems like we're singularly focused uh, on on that issue that may not in fact be an issue. Well, that, that's right. I mean, and, and it, there's a reason behind it, which is Mexican immigration really was a big part of the story. It was the biggest part of the immigration story for the past two decades, past three decades. Um, what we've seen now is since 2007, the number of Mexicans coming to the U.S. has dropped. I mean, just drastically dropped, actually, since since the recession. And a lot of it's because Mexico is becoming older. You have fewer young people ready to migrate. But the economy is better in Mexico than it was in the past. Um, and migrants themselves, as we saw in Italy and in Ireland and Poland and other places, you know, migrants also send money back, which helps the family that stays behind. And so quite often... You know, you'll end up with, I was talking to a guy the other day from Mexico, from a small rural village who, you know, has six brothers and sisters, and he, he's the oldest one. He migrated, and then everyone else has college degrees in this small town, um, you know, because he sent money back and he put them all through college, and so no one else had to migrate. They, they, they all, uh, you know, were able to stay and, and earn a fairly good living in the community where they grew up. And, and, and we've seen this in other countries. It's starting to happen in Mexico where people, you know, there's a cost benefit. Yes, they could make more money in the U.S., but it means leaving their family behind and they're doing okay, you know, and they can have a good life where they are. So Mexican immigration's dropped way down. We're actually seeing more immigration today from Asia than from Latin America, which is interesting. India and China um, are slightly ahead of Mexico in terms of immigration. And in terms of, of unauthorized immigration, what some people call illegal immigration or undocumented immigration, um, what we're seeing actually is that Central Americans are probably the biggest number right now. Mexicans have dropped way down. In fact, the numbers of, of Mexicans here without papers is dropping over time. Um, and we're starting to see people from Asia um, in, that, in that group as well. It, the whole immigration issue became certainly a, a focal point of the 2016 uh, election, but it also has been an issue, as you mentioned, with past administrations as well. And it seems to be an issue that Congress either can't get their head around or doesn't want to deal with because we keep talking about immigration, but nothing seems to happen. Can you talk about that dynamic? Yeah, Yeah, there's a deal that almost got struck um, during the Bush administration and then during the Obama administration in Congress that had a large, uh, had a great deal of public support and a great deal of support both among Republicans and Democrats. 
And it was essentially fixing our legal immigration system, because frankly, most immigration is legal immigration in our country. So, you know, by far and away, but making sure our legal immigration system makes sense. And you could absorb some of the people who come without papers now by, by creating some channels for them to come. So some temporary work visas um, above what we have right now. Then making it much harder to actually work without, uh, without papers in this country. So actually having, you know, real employment verification in the United States, and then figuring out some way that people that, that have shown that they're part of the community that have been here for a long time in the United States um, are, are, that want to come out of the shadows can have some sort of legal status, maybe not citizenship, but some sort of legal status. That's something that, that seems to have broad-based support, both in the public and in Congress. But when you get into the details, there's enough people on each side um, who don't agree that it tends to end up not politically working out. You get a broad majority of people but Republicans look at some people in their districts, Republican members of Congress, and see folks that think it's it's too generous to immigrants. Democrats look at some folks in their districts and see folks who, who think it's not generous enough, and it ends up not happening. But there is sort of a middle ground where most Americans are, which is, you know, we want to continue to be open to immigration, but we also want a system that has some real enforcement and, and is credible. And, you know, we need to tinker so that we make sure we get the system right for the, the needs that we have in the future, the work needs that we have in our economy, um, and then enforce that. But we haven't gotten there politically yet. But that seems to be where, the, you know, most Americans seem to be in the political middle on this where you could really make, make a real compromise. And we keep getting close on it. Enforcement has stepped up under the Trump administration, and a lot of people, just average folk, think – Boy, you know, that's harsh. But yet, uh, during the campaign, a lot of people were in favor of deporting all illegal immigrants. So uh, talk about that dynamic a bit. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of people who strongly supported President Trump who are in favor of of a really tough immigration policy. But when you start to pull, uh, you know, parse the poll numbers— it's it's a hard base of support for him, but it's not a majority of his supporters, and much less a majority of Americans. I mean, it's a it's twenty twenty five percent of Americans, um, but but they're voters that matter to President Trump. They're voters that were with him during the primary because he took a very strong position on immigration, and he feels he needs to to deliver to that group, and and he may believe strongly that that's something he has to do. Um, what we've seen so far is a is a shift in policy towards a little bit more discretion given to agents on who they're arresting. Um, enforcement is up. We saw in the first three months it was up about 37%, the number of detentions of people, so that is significant. Um, they do still seem to be prioritizing people with criminal records, but what's changed is under the Obama administration, if they went after someone with a criminal record and they, you know, there are other people around who couldn't show papers, they wouldn't go after them. Right now they're asking people for papers and arresting others in the vicinity. Um, so we're not seeing a huge sort of full-scale, you know, attempt to arrest everyone who doesn't have legal papers, but we are seeing an increase in, in the number of detentions of people. It's significant. And I think over time we'll see whether or not they're, they're complying with what President Trump said, which is they want to get people with criminal records, or if they're deviating from that and getting a lot of people who really are part of the community. You know, we see a lot of anecdotal stories about that, about 
folks who are, you know, pillars of their community who've been detained and deported or about to be deported. Um, but we don't know yet if that's a, a large number of people or, or a small number. I think we'll know pretty soon what the what the status is. Um, and, you know, hopefully they are sticking to what the president said, but I think some people suspect that they may be that they may have given so much discretion to agents um, on the front lines that it is a um, that they may actually get away from from the priority on people with criminal records. It's certainly a fact, is it not, that the dragnet is getting bigger? As you said, it's not just perhaps a person who's targeted, but anybody who happens to be around that person at the time. Yes, yeah, I think that's the. I mean, in, in that sense, they really. You know, the the mandate has been, you know, go after people that are priorities for enforcement, which are folks with criminal records um, or people with deportation orders already issued, you know, but but no longer do you have to to confine yourself to those people. I mean, you can't ask questions of others around them and anyone that you think is a danger in the community. You can also um, pursue them even if they don't have a criminal record. Um, and, and so I think we, we will see what that looks like. I mean, I think there's a lot of suspicion that that, that is actually taking us away from, from priority enforcement on people with criminal records. But, uh, but we don't yet know for sure. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. From the highly technical information and telecommunication systems to the theoretical communication studies and everything in between, programs in the college offer students both the fundamentals of communication practice and the tenacity and skills to further advance the field. In addition, the college is home to four centers and institutes that enable students to gain hands-on experience and learn new skills. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Talk to us a bit about the dreamer concept and uh, what that what that means. It seems like President Trump has changed his position between campaign and elected office on that issue. But talk about that issue and how it relates to just not the dreamer, but families. Yeah, that you know, uh, there's probably no more sympathetic population among among uh, at least unauthorized immigrants. I mean, these are kids who came to the United States, um, you know, under in fairly early years, under the age of 13, were brought by their parents before they had any choice in the matter and have either graduated from high school or gone into the military. And, um, you know, they're really American. I mean, I know a lot of these kids, and, and they are immensely American. They're the country, what they were born in is a country that they that they barely know or not at all. I actually have a... Uh, a uh, kid that I know very well who's uh, who's in college now. Um, he was able to, thanks to the Dream Act, to to go to college and got a scholarship. And just an incredibly talented young man. But he, uh, you know, he he left when he was one year old from Mexico. And so he, the first time he ever saw pictures of his village was when someone, uh, when a reporter actually interviewed him and then went back to his village and took some pictures and brought it back to him to see, um, so he could actually see where he he had been born because he just had no 
no connection to Mexico. I mean, he loves the music, loves the food, but, you know, it's not, not a country he hasn't been in since he was one year old. What, what the Obama administration did, this is, this is an issue that has a lot of sympathies on both sides. So Marco Rubio and some of the Republicans were on board with trying to get something through Congress. It did not um, move fast enough for the Obama administration, and so they did a, an administrative and executive order that basically gave people a stay for deportation. If they could prove that they had come when they were under the age of 13, that they're graduating from high school or going to the military, um, and it would give them permission to work and to study. So it gives them basically, they don't quite have the same protections as someone who's, who's a permanent resident in the country, because this can always be revoked. But, but it gives them, for the time being, the ability to work and study and to get scholarships and to have a normal life. And it's been incredibly powerful. There's, there's almost 750,000 young people that are in this program right now. And the Trump administration, President Trump had talked about during the campaign that he would get rid of this, but I think as he's come in and some of his advisors have, have come in and looked at this, it's politically very popular on both sides. This is an immensely sympathetic group of people. And they're, for the most part, young people who are, who are contributing enormously to the country. And so I think the inclination, and all the signs we're hearing right now is they seem inclined to let it continue and to ask Congress to, give it, to create a permanent solution at some point, to do some legislation to, to legalize this group. But we'll see. They haven't said for sure one way or the other, but they seem to be heading that direction as near as we can tell. But it doesn't apply to the parents of the child, right? It does not. The Obama administration tried to... Um, uh, uh, make this apply to the parents of, of anyone who, who fit the category of dreamers. It did not, which would have been a very large number of people, anyone who had American-born children, essentially, is actually even broader than the dreamers. Um, it was struck down in the courts, and the uh, Supreme Court uh, deadlocked on it, and so did not uh, either affirm or overturn the, re- the, uh, the lower court uh, decision. And so it, it, in the end, it failed. Um, and there was, it was very politically uh, sensitive, I think for some Democrats felt that it was the best thing to do uh, for the families of, of uh, children born in this country. I think a lot of Republicans and some Democrats would say that it was probably an overreach of presidential authority that trying to use executive authority for a group that's that big, that's in, in several million, maybe more than what uh, executive authority was intended for. Um, but in the end, it didn't pass. I mean, I, there were many people hopeful that they would uh, they would be allowed to stay in the country because they had American-born children, but that doesn't seem to, to happen. And, and this is something, by the way, I think that gets lost sometimes in discussions on right. on illegal immigration, undocumented immigration, is that is that many of these families are actually mixed families, right? People have children right. born in this country. Sometimes one spouse is born in the U.S., the other or is a U.S. Uh, resident, the other isn't. These are often very mixed families, actually. With different, and sometimes you have children with different status. A child who's the, the young man I was talking about, actually, who came when he was one year old, has, has siblings who were born in the United States. You know, it, it, that's actually very common in these families. And, and so often these are families with very deep roots in the United States already. I know in your uh, past, back in 2010, you uh, wrote a paper about uh, organized crime and, and Mexico's role with the United States uh, and a shared responsibility to address it. That being said, there there's all of this emphasis now with the with Attorney General Sessions of targeting gangs in, uh, all across the, the country. But I think the average... American conflates all of that with the immigration issues. Can can you separate that and compartmentalize that for sure. us a bit? Yeah, these are really different different issues, and they get conflated because they both have to do with the U.S.-Mexico border. Often, not always, but often, and so they, in our mind, they're conflated, but they're very different. Um, you know, the the organized crime groups 
First of all, even the immigrant smugglers do not tend to belong to the organized crime groups, as far as we know. They, they sometimes, they know each other, they pay the organized crime groups sometimes for permission to use, to cross people, but they tend to be very different groups. And the immigrants themselves have nothing to do with organized crime, which is not to say there are no immigrants at all, and no Americans at all that are involved in organized crime, but it's a, it's a tiny number of people. Um, Organized crime groups, I mean, increasingly, at the same time that you had lots of Mexican migration to the U.S., you also had a shift in the drug trade. And so the, the drug trade increasingly moved to Mexico from Colombia. The Colombians had, the Colombian organized crime groups had been um, very involved in, in, uh, in primarily cocaine and heroin trafficking. Um, the Mexican organized crime groups moved in, took over much of that market, and uh, it took over marijuana and some synthetic drugs as well and have become very active, although there are still um, organized crime groups from other countries that are involved as well. And, but they primarily move drugs actually through ports of entry. Um, and, and so these are even different streams on the border. So when we say, you know, securing the border, there are actually even two different phenomena going on at the border. You have people coming across as immigrants, primarily Central Americans these days, coming across as immigrants, usually going through the desert. They're coming through, you know, areas where, where they're trying to get around the border patrol and sort of sneak through and see if they can get to the U.S. Drugs, particularly heroin and cocaine and methamphetamines, usually come through in vehicles through ports of entry. And they're hidden and they're trying to escape detection. And so you actually even have to, you know, there's no way a wall doesn't really help you stop them. You, you have to use really sophisticated techniques to try and interrupt the supply chain, hopefully before those drugs even get to the border. Right. And certainly once they get to those ports of entry. And that's a really different set of techniques from trying to stop immigration. But frankly, it's a more important investment. Is the wall dead at this point? Uh, we just recently heard the President Trump saying that he now is going to propose a solar wall, I, I imagine, to make it more palatable to Congress. But is this really just a, a pipe dream? I, I, I think the solar panels probably are a pipe dream, though, you know, you never know. It's it's not a completely, I mean, cer certainly there are other places one could put solar panels in, in the border region. I'm not sure if on the wall is the, the most efficient place. Um, I, I think he will get a little bit of money from Congress eventually for some fencing, I don't think he will ever get um, what he wants in terms of the full amount for a full border wall. And I think most people who are involved in, you know, border issues in his administration are probably okay with that. I, my, my sense is that that people who have followed this issue for a long time, even people who are very strong on enforcement at the border, think that that a border wall is probably not the most effective way to to deal with things particularly not with drugs i mean drugs are primarily going through ports of entry and so what you need is investments in in detection devices and manpower at the ports of entry um rather than than a wall between the ports of entry um but even people who are who are really big on trying to to have more of a presence in stopping immigrants from coming across the border i think would would for the most part, want if you would ask people in the agencies that are involved in this, they would probably want technology more than physical fencing. They might want a little bit of physical fencing here and there. And I suspect that's what's going to happen in the end. I mean, I think there will be an appropriation for a mixture of a little bit of fencing here and there and probably a little bit of technology and a few more border agents, and everyone will declare victory. In, um, in the, the Democrats will declare victory where having stopped the wall, and President Trump will declare victory because he got some sort of, of border enforcement. In the vernacular, it's called the virtual wall, right? Some of the, the virtual wall, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 and, and, you know, most about. people in the law enforcement community actually see that as, as more useful. You know, when you talk to, to frontline officers, I mean, they they would see the, the virtual 
wall, something, the technology that allows them to patrol more of the border uh, with the number of people they have as being more useful than, than a physical barrier. Dr. Seeley, in the last few minutes that we have, uh, I want to sort of open it up to you to, to help us as the average citizen out here. What are we missing in the whole immigration debate? Are, are there things that we should be looking at that perhaps are not being looked at sufficiently at this point? Well, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, illegal immigration, unauthorized immigration, undocumented immigration. But actually, most immigration to the U.S. Is, comes through legal channels. Most people are coming, you know, with legal documentation here. And, and we want that. I mean, we want people to come to the United States. And we probably, now that, that the number of people coming without papers has gone down so much, um, and, and we're looking at more, by the way, more and more educated people coming across. In fact, the, there are more people with college degrees who come in as immigrants to the United States than the average in the American population as a whole, wow. which is surprising. This yes. is recent, actually. This is in the last couple of years. I mean, the last five years, I guess. The, we're seeing more people, and this is from Migration Policy Institute's work, we're seeing a greater percentage of people with college degrees among immigrants than among the U.S.-born population. And so, you know, the questions I think we should be asking ourselves is, what do we want out of our immigration system? Um, we might want more people to come with work visas. Right now we have a lot of people coming as family members of folks that are already here. We don't want to stop that. But, but do we want people in you know, particular occupations? Can we make this market-based so when the economy is bad, can we, can we find ways that there are fewer visas? When the economy is doing well, we can increase the number of visas. We can adjust between sectors. So when tech is taking off, there could be more tech visas. Um, more seasonal agriculture visas. You know, how do we do this in a way that responds to, so there's less competition with American workers? But I think fixing our legal immigration system is a, is a huge opportunity. I think, I think, two, thinking about the communities we want. I mean, every place you go in the United States now has immigrants. Um, it used to be that immigrants came to only a few big cities and a few areas of the country. Today, people are spread out everywhere. And, and so thinking also, no matter what people's policy position is, if they love or, or you know, they want more immigrants or less immigrants and the fewer immigrants in this country, I think it's thinking how do we make sure that our communities work well and that everyone who is in the community is part of it. You know, and how do we do things in a way that integrate people effectively into the schools, into politics, into, you know, how do you get parents engaged in the schools that their kids go to? How do you get people engaged in community activities? I think thinking of those nuts and bolts things beyond the politics is sometimes really helpful. And, and those are the issues that have gotten obscured by the rhetoric for and against the number of people coming to the country. Let, let's think about the legal immigration system we want, and let's think about, you know, how we actually respond to the people that are already here with us. Dr. Seeley, thank you so much for clearing some of this up for us and giving us new ways to uh, look at an issue that's certainly inflammatory at the time. Thank you, Tom. Really appreciate being able to join you today. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Andrew Seeley, the new president of the Migration Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about the Trump administration's immigration policies and American attitudes towards immigration. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We do welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through Apple Podcasts. 
If you have any questions or comments about any of our podcasts, please direct them to me by email. That's at hodson at ohio.edu. Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.